strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, appreciate you spending some time with the show this morning. A lot happening as bombs continue to drop on uh, Kiev. European leaders are heading to the uh, Ukraine capital. And what we are seeing here um, with this onslaught and the resistance from Ukraine is the longer this goes on without success for Russia, the more the world rallies behind uh, the Ukrainian government and the Ukrainian leader. He addressed us. President Zelensky addressed the Canadian Parliament this morning. He has been a regular um, with the worldwide updates talking to the EU. And um, he is really garnering the support of the entire world. There are people now questioning whether or not Russia is going to run out of ammunition, which I found this to be a fascinating um, turn of events, as one former NATO commander says, within the next nine or ten days, he believes they could run out of ammo. I think what we're going to see is that in the next nine or ten days, uh, Russian forces are going to run out of time, they're going to run out of people, and they're going to run out of ammunition. They're going to, what we would say, culminate. They're going to reach their culminating point, and they will not be able to continue attacking. This is a decisive week. There is a member of Congress that is a Ukrainian born, that is an American citizen and a member of Congress that is taking this uh, administration to task that said they don't have a plan. They're moving too slow. They're not doing enough. The National Security Advisor was on Meet the Press, and there was a question of uh, there was a deal that Poland wanted to make. The Polish government was going to give its, I believe it was 29 MiG fighter jets to the U.S., with the understanding that the U.S. was going to give those 29 jets to the Ukrainian people so that Ukrainian pilots could defend their own airspace. We wouldn't be involved in a no-fly zone. We wouldn't have American pilots in harm's way. They would have their own pilots flying those planes. But then the Poland wanted the U.S. to supply replacement planes to Poland. The U.S. government said no to this. So the National Security Advisor was asked about this on Meet the Press. The military, the Pentagon, uh sees the, the MiGs, the fighter jets, as offensive weapons. But the key thing here is that President Biden looked at the assessment of our intelligence community, took the advice of his military commanders, consulted with his NATO allies, and ultimately determined that the cost-benefit analysis did not justify flying fighter planes from a U.S. base in Germany into contested airspace in Eastern Europe. But he also directed us to double down on our efforts to get the Ukrainians advanced capabilities that could achieve a similar purpose. And see, to the rest of the world, and I'll be honest, from, you know, I, I am not a military or a, a war expert, but I don't understand as far as diplomacy goes in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of the Russians, in the eyes of the Chinese, whoever it might be. I don't understand what the difference between giving them anti-tank and anti-aircraft missiles, which we are, have been very effective. If you haven't seen the videos online of Russian aircraft, both hel- helicopters and jets being shot out of the sky and the tanks that have been blown up. The convoys and the the drones that have been used, and we're supplying a lot of that, uh, uh, along with the intelligence that is uh, locating where Russian forces are. We are we are doing a lot of that. What's the difference between giving them the weapons to shoot their aircraft down from the ground or destroy their tanks from the ground or giving them jets to protect their airspace from the air? And I don't know the answer to that. So when you hear this kind of a, uh, the answer to me is 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 a little bit vague in he did the cost benefit analysis. That's so easy to say when you're sitting in the comfort of your office in Washington, D.C., while the Ukrainian people, over two million of them have been exiled from their home. Most Americans agree 
we're not going to put troops on the ground. That being a part of a ground war with Russia is not what we want to be. But we have sworn our support for the Ukrainian people. And we have given them these Stinger missiles and other things that have been very, very effective in their defense. But they are so outnumbered and out-equipped. They had more people show up than they had weapons to hand them to fight with. So I don't understand why this jet proposal was off the table. One of the interesting developments that's happened in recent days that I worth I think is worth repeating is that the Chinese seem to have cooled their support. A couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, they were saying that there is an unbreakable alliance, that, that the Russia is their closest strategic ally. When the U.S. said to them, don't help the Russians, because in the media, um, it's been learned that the Russians have asked the Chinese for help. As a matter of fact, I want you to hear this as a retired Marine colonel saying he was surprised to hear this. It's quite remarkable, first of all, if the third largest military in the world is asking the second largest military in the world for military help. The Russians uh, maybe uh, have seemed 12 feet tall in the past, but certainly uh, they're not performing up to that standard. And the fact that they have to ask the Chinese for some sort of assistance, there's rumors that they have been asking for drones. But on the other hand, the economic assistance is a little more understandable, given the sanctions that Russia's under. So they're asking the Chinese government for help militarily. The U.S. has reached out and told China, don't help them. You know, stay out of this. The response from the Chinese government, it could be a blatant lie, could be a complete lie. But the Chinese government has responded and said, we are not helping. We have remained neutral. We are going to stay out of this. If that's true, that is a far cry. From what we heard China saying a few weeks ago. Now, they didn't speak specifically of military aid, but they talked about this unbreakable alliance and there were no there were no limits on their partnership. Well, if there's no limits on your partnership, you've just put a limit on your partnership. And a lot of this has to do with the lack of Russian success. China has enough trouble right now with the more they have a spike in COVID going on over there. Millions more people quarantined in China. The supply chain issue has hurt their economy just like it's hurt ours. And they're trying to dig out of that financial mess that they've been in just like we are. And they're not going to take on the needs of not only Russia, but the needs of Ukraine as well. Meaning that if Russia wants to be successful, I think they know by now that the only way that they will be successful in taking over Ukraine is if they wipe out Ukraine. You're not going to waltz into cities that are still mostly intact. You're going to have to take out their infrastructure, which they've done in many places. Once again, the city of Kiev has got a population, normally a population that rivals Chicago. This is a major city in a very large European country. I believe in landmass, it's the second largest European nation. So if you are going to take over the nation, it's going to have to be by brutal force and bombs, and you're going to destroy that country. Well, you don't have the financial means to rebuild that country. So you're going to be left with a wasteland. And what good is that going to be to you in the short term? So is China going to finance that rebuilding? Is China going to rebuild your military? Is China going to help you rebuild your economy? You've become now more of a liability than an asset to the Russian people or to the Chinese people. And is that what Russia or China is weighing here, that they were expecting a much 
uh, you know, the U.S. and the Allied forces marched into Baghdad relatively unscathed. That's what I think they were expecting. And when that didn't happen, the Chinese may be second guessing this alliance. So there are so many moving parts in all of this, and it is very fascinating to me um, as we watch this happen and the courage of the Ukrainian people continue to be an inspiration to so many. Um, I want to talk about COVID from a different angle. I'm going to read the headline to you. Nursing homes in Arizona are struggling to give booster shots to residents and staff going to talk about where our focus is when it comes to COVID-19. We're going to do it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with me this morning Uh, here in Arizona. Nursing homes having a hard time getting booster shots into people that are living in the nursing homes. I want you to hear just a little piece of an ABC 15 report on this. Dana Kennedy is the state director for AARP Arizona, and she's talking about these stats that show Arizona is last when it comes to getting booster shots to vulnerable adults in long-term care facilities. You know, it matters, you know, from the very beginning that these congregate settings, especially uh, residents in long-term care facilities, are most at risk and have the hardest impact when they do get the virus. ARP's public dashboard shows less than 38% of people inside Arizona nursing homes have received their booster shots. Nevada, Florida, and Texas also at the bottom. It's much more difficult to get them boosted because most of them are not ambulatory. And Kennedy tells me that the State Department of Health is trying to increase boosters by sending mobile units to facilities. However, she says it is a slow process. So I have I think I have a relevant question and I'm going to reach out to the state and ask them this question. Um, You know, the Department of Health Services, if you look at the numbers and I looked at them every day when they updated the numbers every day. And when I looked at them, when you do them every week and I have just the latest in front of me that when you look at the numbers in Arizona, I just want to read to you what's happening. We have been so focused on kids. Masks are still being worn in some public schools for children. In total, since the beginning of COVID, we're going, what, a couple of years now, there have been 61 deaths of people under the age of 20. Only 61. Now, I know people are going to yell and say only in comparison to the number I'm going to give you. 61. There have been 4,700 hospitalizations. There have been over 423,000 cases. Those are under the age of 20. We have been so focused on masking kids and all these other things. Get your kids vaccinated, all this other stuff. There have been 19,812 deaths of people over the age of 65 compared to 61. There have been 45,793 hospitalizations in comparison to 4,700, almost 10 times more, almost 10 times more. And there have been almost half as many cases. Older people by far are at the extreme highest risk of serious illness or death. So you don't have to sacrifice one for the other. I'm not saying we can't do both. But here in the state of Arizona, we have had such a push on children. People in nursing homes, that congregate setting. We know that when COVID-19 was getting into those facilities, 
they were it was spreading like wildfire and the death rate was immense because many people in a nursing home have comorbidities that are making covid is is literally the straw that breaks the camel's back and is causing so much death i'm all about solutions when you look at what we've done and where we've focused at some point, you, we have to acknowledge, listen, this was done on the fly. We've had a Republican administration in Washington, D.C. and a Democrat administration in Washington, D.C., both trying to accomplish the same goals. There's pl- plenty of political blame to go around in both sides. But in reality, both administrations were dealing with something they really didn't know much about. Everybody was learning on the fly. So if you want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, I, I, I'm, in, I'm, I'm with you. I'm in lockstep. I don't like a lot of the things, you know, Fauci has disappeared. Nobody knows where he is. And I'm glad that we are not laser focused on COVID-19 like we were before. But if we truly are saying this pandemic isn't over, if we are saying we still have to be mindful, the highest risk group among us are people over the age of 65 or people that are obese or these other comorbidities. Why in the world here in the state of Arizona are we so laser focused on kids when people in nursing homes, I think, are the ones that are at the extreme highest level of risk? Shouldn't that have been, shouldn't that be a policy shift that says, all right, so we've got these mobile units, we're going to try to get into areas, I, I great. What about the people that are at the most di- in the most dire need? Wouldn't you prioritize it that way? And if the most dire need for the spread and the serious illness and death that comes along with it are people over the age of 65 living in, you know, with comorbidities and living in these congregate settings where when one person brings it into the facility, the entire facility is at risk of death which we've seen happen almost to every person, every every resident in one location. Almost every one of them got it and died. Why wouldn't we be making sure that that was the focus? Instead of what's, you know, what we're doing, you know, and it isn't one or the other, but you look at where the focus has been. This has not been the focus. It's been kids. And should we vaccinate our kids? We got to get a vaccine out for kids. Let's vaccinate the children. Let's mask them up. Keep them masked. Keep doing this. Let's continue to do that. And in the end, we look at this and say the most high risk people among us, they're having trouble getting these boosters to. That shouldn't happen. This should be prioritized. You know, they call it triage in, in a setting where you triage the people and the most critically injured are the ones that get the attention first. That doesn't mean you don't need to pay attention to anyone else, but you've got to assess and treat the most serious first. And I thought it was a great question about why this is happening here. Why is this happening? In a moment, um, education. Some big news on education that we want to pass along to you. We're going to get to that coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. 
Hey, thanks for being here. Um, Ohio is now added to the list of states that is allowing people that are 21 years of age that legally own a firearm to carry that firearm concealed without a concealed carry permit. I believe there's now in total 23 states that have this law in effect. So I want you to hear this is a WCPO Cincinnati report on this new law. Governor Mike DeWine making it legal to conceal and carry a firearm without a permit. Senate Bill 215 also eliminates the requirement for training and promptly notifying police about a concealed gun before asked. I'm an advocate, but I, I believe it's safety first. Ain't no sense of having a firearm that you ain't properly trained on one. Rufus Johnson is an educator who offers gun safety courses for people looking for a CCW permit. For me, any firearm owner needs to have some type of education, some kind of safety training. Johnson isn't happy with the new law. It's going to cause chaos. Because that means people will have more access to weapons because there's too many weapons on the streets now. I couldn't disagree more. Uh, Arizona changed the law about 10 years ago, and it didn't cause chaos here in the state of Arizona. What it's done is it's leveled the playing field, because here's my disagreement with that, where my disagreement lies with him. Disagreement lies with him is because criminals don't have any training. Criminals don't have any training, usually. The illegal gun possessors, the ones that are the, the ones out there doing the damage with firearms, aren't getting trained. They're not signing up for classes. Most reasonable, and I say most, and I knew I do know the number is most reasonable gun owners go through some kind of training because they understand the responsibility that a firearm carries. And when you start making these laws, it only affects the law-abiding citizen. In Arizona, we've leveled the playing field. I may have a gun in my pocket, just like the criminal that may come up to me. The carjacker that might come up to me, I might have my gun between the seats. I might have it on the console. I might have it on my lap. You don't know. And that's why you leave people alone. I want to go through just a couple of headlines here. Increasing assaults on Phoenix police officers is worrying the chief. Let's start there. Chief Williams was on with Gatos and Chad, and I want you to hear a little bit of what she said about police officers being attacked. We don't really know why it's happening. What we do know is the individuals that we've come in contact with on the previous two occasions uh, had some felonious bookings uh, prior to this. I will say it's getting far more dangerous for the men and women who wear blue uniform or any other color uniform, not just in Phoenix, but throughout the country as well. And you all mentioned it. This is the seventh one of my officers shot and the 13th injured in the line of duty in the past few months. So here is a story that was written, um, and it's uh, police, Phoenix police ranked number one in deadly use of force compared to other major departments. The organization Mapping Police Violence has compiled a database um, of police deadly use of force going back to 2013. The database contains records of 9,942 deadly force incidents involving police during that time. In departments in Arizona accounted for 4% of those. The data shows that 131 of these encounters happened with the Phoenix Police Department. So isn't it an interesting contrast when you hear about the police being ambushed in Arizona now, how many cops in the last few months have been ambushed by people targeting the police? Not to mention the fact that the police are dealing with the worst of our society over and over and over again. This is another reason why the average citizen is feeling like they need to arm themselves. It may just be perception. Or it might be the reality that criminals are more brazen now and feel more empowered now than they have in a very, very, very long time.
Here's crime statistics. Amazon, or I should say evidence. Amazon is relocating workers assigned to downtown office buildings amid crime wave. Here in Arizona, catalytic converters in Arizona could be better protected under a new law because of the massive increase in catalytic converter thefts that have been going on around the valley. There was a law being proposed in Arizona that would allow store owners to use deadly force when someone had a weapon while they were doing these smash and grab robberies, and the law was was uh, was not passed. It died. Um, whether or not you think a law like that is a good idea that you are allowed to protect your property with deadly force if you feel endangered, I, you know, we can talk about that all day. People are more concerned for their safety. People aren't dumb, including the criminals. When you have a police force that is way understaffed, way overworked, and way under-respected, criminals are going to prey upon that. I mean, this is basic predatory behavior. Predators will always go for the weakest link. That's what they do. I just don't want that to be me. I don't want it to be you either. But my responsibility is to make sure that I am safe. And I want to be able to have the ability to protect people around me if something bad happens. And when we think about police officer shortages and and the way uh, crimes escalate, and I don't want to be on the losing end. You know, just because I own firearms doesn't mean I want a gunfight. Just like just because I own fire extinguishers doesn't mean I want a house fire. It is being prepared. The average person, when they're the victim of a crime, begins to take measures to protect themselves after they've been fallen victim. So if you've been burglarized, you do things to burglar-proof your house. If you've been assaulted, you get weapons. Um, all of the, if you, your car gets stolen, you go buy something to keep people from stealing your car. If you've got a fire, people buy fire extinguishers. People need to learn those lessons ahead of time. So these states that are saying, and it's logically true, that if criminals are walking around with guns in their pockets, why wouldn't a law-abiding citizen, how am I more dangerous? Honestly, how am I more dangerous? Without an ounce of training, how am I more dangerous with a gun in my pocket versus a gun on my hip? Because when a business says you can't bring guns in, it's illegal to bring a gun in. When we had these arguments, I, I don't remember the name of the business, but when all of the when there were a lot of shootings that were going on, there was a business here in the valley, a restaurant that said, you know, they came here from another country. I think it was Great Britain, but I'm not sure where gun laws were very restrictive. And so they said, I thought it was a novelty. And I went out and I bought guns and I told my friends, it's great that we're allowed to have guns. And and so in this country, because well, it's, it's not a novelty to me anymore. So they surrendered their guns to the Phoenix Police Department and then went in to the, I believe it was on AZ Central, Arizona Republic, and told everybody. And there were three things about that to me that were ironic and a bit humorous. Number one is they gave back their guns to a police department that isn't going to destroy the guns. They've got to resell them. You can't destroy them. They get resold to somebody else. You can take any guns off the street. Number two, you went to the newspaper and you told them, I've just disarmed my business. Why in the world would you do that? So now you don't have a gun and you've told everybody you don't have a gun. 
And the third part about that is, is they thought they were doing their part to stop violence. Well, if you're not a violent person, you didn't do anything to stop violence. You did nothing to stop violence. I want violence to stop. I fired a lot of different firearms. You can't, unless you are completely irrational, you can't fire a firearm and not understand the power in that gun. I never want to point a gun at a human being. I don't want to. But I don't want one pointed at me when I'm not unable to defend myself. This is absurd. You know, it's funny how we are all applauding, including many of the anti-gun people. We are all applauding the arming of Ukrainian citizens who want to take up arms to save their cities. Well, we don't have to have an invasion by a foreign government to need to protect ourselves. Why wouldn't we as average citizens look at the crime wave that's happening across this country and say, we all should be a part of this solution? We all should be willing to say when we see a crime being committed and stand up and testify in court, we all should play a role in pushing back the criminals. We all should do that. Should be all of us. Coming up in a moment, we're going to talk about the election bills in Arizona that are failing at a rapid rate. It is incredible how many of them have failed. As a matter of fact, some said it's more than it's ever happened before. So we're going to get to that coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, appreciate you spending some time with me this morning. I want to big uh, thank Beverly Jarrell from Phoenix. She won the $100 from our 100 Days of Giving as we say thanks for everyone in this valley for allowing us for 100 years. We're marching up to our 100th anniversary here at KTAR News. So what we are doing is we're giving people an opportunity to win 100 bucks every single day. Not only that, you get then to choose a charity of your choice, and we will give $100 to the charity of your choice at all as well. So she gave $100 to the Arizona. Arizona Small Dog Rescue, well, which is the charity of her choice. For your chance to win that hundred bucks and donate a hundred bucks at the same time, text the word or text the number. I'm sorry, the number one hundred to four one one ninety two three. That's one hundred to four one one ninety two three. So, uh, Senate uh, leaders and Republican leaders um, on on that side of the aisle, on the Republican side of the aisle, have had a lot of bills uh, on elections failing. You know, these election reform bills. Some have passed, but many of them have failed. And I want you to hear Governor Ducey was asked about this, and here was his response. I don't, I, I don't comment on bills as they're moving. They're not moving anymore. They're well, then, then that's, Governor, that's where they are. Is there part of you that's relieved that these aren't going to come to your desk since lawyers killed them in the Senate and you're not going to have to make Like I said, I'm not going to comment on legislation as it's moving or not moving. I have a comment on it when it comes to my desk. But do we need changes in, what changes do we need in election laws as far as you're concerned? I think we can, uh, there's, all across our government there's room for improvement. And so, you know, trying to box the governor in on this, I've talked about this for quite a long time. I think there are basic things about elections that the American people and the citizens of Arizona especially, or specifically think are necessary and it crosses party lines. Everyone should have to show an ID to vote. You should have to prove who you are. You can't cast a check. You can't. I want you to think about the absurdity of anybody saying that this that disenfranchises voters. Um, I don't care what it, and it shouldn't matter. And in this country, in this day and age, it should not matter where you live, 
or what color your skin is or what gender you are. If you want, if you go to a concert, if you go to a spring training game and your tickets are at will call, they will not give you your tickets unless you show them your ID. Show up there with a, with a phone bill or with a uh, – no one has phone bills. And yeah, with your phone bill, with your address on it or your electric bill or your water bill, that's something that has your name on it. They're not going to give you those tickets. And you shouldn't be able to do that to vote. You should not be able to do that to vote. I think that's a reasonable expectation from people. And we, when that was all, when that was being debated, people were upset and saying it was going to marginalize some voters. Well, I don't think it does. I don't think it does at all. It would be one way to secure or be more secure in our elections. You know, there are a few things that we can do. You know, with mail-in voting, I, I, I have no problem with early voting, and most people never have. This is where my problem is with all of these bills. The Democrats weren't screaming about the elections until they lost in 2016. And then the Republicans weren't screaming about elections until they lost in 2020 with Donald Trump. And so when did it become a problem? And if the election for president needs to be voided, don't we have to avoid all those Republicans that won seats in offices as well? We have got a major election cycle happening right now with five statewide offices up for grabs. And you better be focused on those offices because we're going to have more fighting when it's over, no matter who wins. And what if, what if all of this rhetoric about elections not being secure chases people away from the process? What if you people end up saying it's rigged? You told us it's rigged. Why would I vote in a rigged election if the determine if 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 it is already predetermined? Why would I vote? And that's the risk we're taking. And I wanted an audit that was done fairly. And if anybody still thinks that the cyber ninjas were qualified to do this audit, again, they may be good in their lane, but they were way out of their lane. I love my doctor. I think he's fantastic. When I got diagnosed with high blood pressure, they sent me to a specialist. They sent me to someone that specializes in high blood pressure. That doesn't mean that my doctor isn't amazing at what he does. It means when he saw that this was something outside of his specialty, he sent me to someone who specializes in it. I don't think we hired a specialist. And I think the way that the cyber ninjas have behaved, behaved since that audit shows that they weren't the specialists, that we could have done far better in hiring someone else. We all want the integrity of elections to be protected, myself included. I have the utmost respect for Senator Karen Fan and the leaders and the workers on that audit. Uh, this is not a knock against them personally. I think the, the wrong people were hired to do that audit. And from all of that angst that we have about elections, we're getting a bunch of election bills. And many of them are failing. And many of them are failing because they go too far or they don't work. And what we're doing is we're focusing on something when we should be focusing on the election at hand more than anything else. The Maricopa County Attorney's Office dropped about 180 criminal cases that they did not file on time. We're going to talk about the fallout from that and let you hear a little bit of an interview with a former county attorney. Next.